I, I, I wanted to. I heard this uh, survey uh, mentioned on the radio this week, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And so I um, looked it up, and uh, sure enough, it's true. And I wanted to share it with you today because, uh, as I just mentioned a minute ago, I think we as believers just take for granted that everybody knows what Easter is about and why there is Easter or, or called Resurrection Sunday. But why do we celebrate Easter? What, what is it about? I mean, if you ask people what Christmas is, even if they're not believers, and they really only do the Santa Claus thing. I mean, generally speaking, I think they understand that it's a celebration for Christians to celebrate the birth of Christ. I think, I believe that's true. But this surveys as an opposite result of Easter. So this is from the Barna Group, and they do a lot of surveys on Christian topics and so forth. And so here's what it says is, as American society becomes more religiously diverse, the nation's population has had to grapple with how to define its holidays and celebrations. A recent study by the Barna Group explored Americans' definition of the Easter holiday, asking a nationwide representative sample of American adults how they would describe what Easter means to them personally. In response to a free response query, most Americans described Easter as a religious celebration. Two out of every three Americans, 67%, mentioned some type of theistic religious element. Common responses including describing it as a Christian holiday, a celebration of God or Jesus, a celebration of Passover, a holy day, or a special time for church or worship attendance. However, while a majority of Americans indicated some type, that's the key, some type of spiritual connection with Easter, the research also showed that a minority, get that, a minority of adults directly linked Easter to the Christian faith's belief in the resurrection of Christ. A minority. In all, 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection of Jesus or that it signifies Christ's death and return to life. Only 42%. Uh, one, one, and this, and this is even more surprising. One out of every fifty adults, two percent, said that they would describe Easter as the most important holiday of their faith. So what that's saying is, people who identified themselves as Christian, only two percent of them felt that Easter was the most important holiday we celebrate as Christians. I don't know what you consider more important than Easter. There is nothing. It is the most important thing for us. If there is no Easter, if there is no resurrection, then nothing else matters. No Christian faith. <laughs> nothing else matters. But only 2% said that that was the most important. Okay. Even within the religious definitions offered by Americans, there is a certain degree of confusion. 2% of Americans said that Easter is about the birth of Christ. Another 2% indicated that it was about the rebirth of Jesus. And 1% said it is a celebration of the second coming of Jesus. Not included in, in theistic category was another 3% who described Easter as a celebration of a spring or a pagan holiday. 
on the on the non-religious side, 13% of respondents said they are not sure how to describe Easter. Another 8% of Americans say the holiday means nothing to them or that they do not celebrate the occasion. Other non-religious descriptions of Easter included getting friends and family together, that's 4%, spring break, 3%, mm-hmm. a symbol of new beginnings, rebirth and renewal, 2%, a time to die and hide eggs, 2%, an event for children to have fun, 2%. The Easter Bunny, 1%. An occasion that is too commercialized, 1%. And an opportunity to enjoy food and candy, 1%. So if I did the math here, if you take all the people who said that Easter was about everything but Jesus' resurrection, and you take these non, non-religious things, as 8% and 37%, that's... 45%, there's 58% who don't know that Easter is related to Jesus' resurrection. And of that 58%, 45% fall in these categories we just mentioned. Uh, it's just incredible. The types of Americans who were most likely to express some type of theistic religious connection with Easter were the evangelicals, 93%, attenders of large churches, 86% among those whose congregation has 500-plus adult attenders, born-again Christians, 81%, and weekly churchgoers, 77%. Okay, that all sounds like it's good, right? If you're evangelical, 93% of you believe that Easter's about resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. If you're a large church, 86% of you believe that. If you're born a Christian, again, Christian, 81%. If you're a weekly churchgoer, 77%. Well, what about... <laughs> so if you're a weekly churchgoer, that means that 23% of you don't know that Easter's about Jesus' resurrection. If you're a born-again Christian, 19% of you don't understand that that is what it's about. If you go to a large church, 14% of you still don't know that. And you're an evangelical, still 7% of you don't know. I mean, what? How can you even be a born-again? <laughs> I mean, I, it's just... It's, I have no idea. Yeah, Dennis, please help me with this. He just told me this. Help me with... <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I think we should practice the idea that it's when Jesus comes out of the grave and turns into an Easter bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I you. He should probably move in case he gets struck by a You know, they, they probably didn't have a category for that, but if they did, I'm sure some people would have believed that. You know that Jesse Waters goes out and... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's other problems that too. Right. Yeah. So maybe this isn't as bad because I don't know where they get all these crazy people. Well, they don't know <laughs> Well, but, no, I, I mean, those used to really scare me, scare me, scare me, until I said, oh, no, I got frosting over my On Easter Sunday, especially. I was awake since 5.30, because we had to be here at 8. So, I'm a little... Oh my I understand. Like, i got one more service to go. But it's just... Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's a story, mate, but if they can have the same kind of people that Jesse Waters... Then you understand how that happens, right? Yeah. <laughs>
Westwood Baptist Church and First Baptist in Hamilton, we have a lot better. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's our son. And you might get a sermon back. Should I call him that? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, it goes on to say, in terms of age, members of the boomer generation, that's me, I don't know, uh, 73% were among the most likely to describe Easter as a religious holiday for them. Compared to, now, okay, compared to two-thirds, which is 67%, of elders, which are 64 plus. But that, that this, but, but, but don't, 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 don't get too worried about that yet. I, I have I haven't finished the presentation. Uh, busters who are 66 percent are 26 to 44. The youngest adult generation, the mosaics they call them here, ages 18 to 25, were the least likely age segment to say Easter is a religious holiday. Only 58 percent, reflecting the increasingly secular mindset of young adults. In terms of the audience that most Christian churches attempt to attract on Easter weekend, non-church-going adults, the research shows that while 46% of unchurched adults view the meaning of Easter to be religious, while just 25% connect the holiday to Jesus' return to life. Now, that is scary, but um, what's even more scary is that this, uh, this survey was done in 2010. 12 years ago. So, yeah, things are probably even more skewed than they were back then. And um, it just goes to show that, you know, we need to just talk about Jesus. We need to live a life. We need to walk a life. We need to talk uh, because people just don't know. They, I, I just found this to be almost unbelievable. And um, but it's there. It's a it's a survey. It's a scientific survey. So it is what it is. You can't really argue against it. Only to say that, you know, um, how did it? Ha- my my question is, how did that? Ha- how did this happen? Because I don't think that this was always the case, you know. And I don't have an answer to that except that you know Satan is alive, and he's out there fighting. Every step of the way. Um, I say often that when Satan was lying to Adam and Eve, he said, surely God did not say that if you eat this fruit, you know, you, you eat this, you will die. He said, he said to them, surely God did not say that. And, so somehow he planted that seed of doubt in their minds. Today, I think what God, what Satan is saying to people is, surely God did not mean. So, yeah, he, he said X, Y, Z, but surely he did not mean X, Y, Z. And uh, I'll get that there. And the fact is that that's how he misleads people in the world today. It's, okay, but God said that, but he didn't mean, you know, what he said. Do you see it, Stan? I don't know where it is. Yeah, As usual, it hits and rolls a mile, right? So that's always the case. you see it like that? I'm glad you're limber. Semi. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. 
thank you. That's one more than I'm doing. So, I saw, you know, as we talk about this and everything, when I was working in the 70s in churches and working with youth groups, we had a, a real competition because there was a t point in time between the 50s and 60s where the church was the only organization that offered anything on Sunday. But when we released Sundays, you know, in not keeping it a holy day, you started coming in with sports, you know, and then kids were all tied up with sports and then they wouldn't come to ch church or Sunday school. And as we have progressed, uh, it's more and more and more and more. Sunday is not considered a, how many of us end up cutting grass or how many of us do chores around the house on Sunday when my tradition was Sunday was the day of rest. We have forgotten about taking the day, day of worship, and that's where the Jews are kind of on top of it when it comes to this, you know, and I see it even in Facebook. You see all this stuff. I, I had a, an experience yesterday where uh, about a secret spirit giving you a surprise. And I just responded very simply, said, well, it's not secretive to me because it's from God. Mm -hmm. And I just left it go with yeah. that. Well, you would have thought I dropped a bomb in the middle of a, yeah. a department store because I started getting attacked because, what do you mean? You know, this is based off of a book. <laughs> I'm based off of scripture. You, you have a book too. You're... <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it just amazes me that we let so much, I mean, the horoscope is really getting yeah. crazy again. It, it, it is, in my opinion, it is way of way of Satan pulling us farther and farther and farther away, and the more and we can get so caught up in it, and we get sucked into the negativity, and 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 we act it out, because if God is not the one in control in our lives, we're going to act it out. Well, you know, we were driving into church this morning. This is Easter Sunday, as we all know, and you know, sometimes we joke about it. That Easter, if you're if you're going to come to church, you're going to come on Easter and Christmas. I mean, you're just going to come. And so, so we're driving in today to church, and we leave early because it's a 45 minute drive for us. And so we're driving down, and probably about 15 minutes after we left the house, so it would be about what 8:30. Uh, we're driving by one of those kind of self-serve uh, car washes. And I look over, and there are several people over there washing their cars. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, Easter Sunday morning, and you're washing mm -hmm. your car. Doesn't mean anything to them. No. no. And I always, I, I say a, a lot of times too, you know, uh, what the, today the, the people are worshiping in the church of Starbucks. You go by Starbucks on Sunday morning, they're packed. You go by certain small churches today, and there's almost no one there. And because people are having church at Starbucks, I wrote a poem. I'll, I'll send it to you guys after we get home. Uh, called "Pumpkin Spice Latte," and it's about people worshiping on su people worshiping on Sunday at Starbucks. And uh, I'll send it to you. It's kind of tongue in cheek, a little uh, about that. But it's so true. We've had so many things now that pull people away from church and from seeing Sunday as 
the Lord's Day and and the importance of the Bible. It's just it's just Satan and it's just what. It's. So anyway, I brought you down. Now I'm going to bring you back up. Right. Right. Even yeah. churches yeah. have moved services to Saturday. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. And so and some churches just just offer Zoom. You know. Yeah. And so I, I agree with the Sunday. You know, being kind of a, a holy holy sacred day and. I don't cut my grass anyway. It's still one of the Ten Commandments. Yes. yes. So does it still stand? Absolutely. Or do we say, well, Absolutely. we don't need the Sabbath anymore because Jesus is here or whatever? I don't know. No, it still stands to my stands. opinion, but... Yeah, I think busyness. I and I agree with sports. We had a another church I attended had a new youth pastor come in and he said he had never seen soccer anyways. Youth soccer like it is here. It's big here. Yeah. Trying to get activities planned around soccer, but then women are working more and and so Families are doing things. It's busyness. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, I can tell you on the, the sports thing. Yeah. I was a guilty father. My both my daughters played high level yeah, soccer. We, we were guilty. They both played in, yeah. both played in college. We were, yeah. And we went to church, yeah. uh, but oh, yeah. it wasn't our primary focus. And I'm thankful that God kind of restored us. You know. And, Brought us back to earth. It's easy to get caught up in that because you feel like you have to do it, you know, in this damn age. Um, oh, I had something so good I was going to say. What was it? I can't remember now. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, it's something that we do battle against in our own lives too, you know, in terms of busyness and not just on Sunday because we're not only supposed to be Christians on Sunday, right? It's sometimes even harder Monday through Friday because you're working and that's when you have your appointments and, you know, you're, I mean, sometimes I'm finding myself, you know, I'm trying to read the Bible pretty much every day, right? And sometimes I find it's like one in the morning and I haven't done it yet. And I'm before I go to bed, I'm sitting down reading my scripture for that day and it's one o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, that's not the best thing in the world either. It's to get that quiet time, devotional time, it takes discipline and it's difficult in the world today. And Satan wants to make it difficult because the more he can put in our way, the more he kind of pulls us away from being in God's word. And that's what's happening in the world today, that people who don't believe, um, they have everything else in the world taking them other directions. And oh, I know what I was going to say now. I got it back. Um, sometimes, and it's especially true, I think, in the in some of the bigger churches, I don't mean to criticize, but and you have to decide for yourself, but I think sometimes the, they don't do it even purposely. They want to try to have the best, most meaningful worship service they could have. And so they really create this service that is this singing and this music and this audiovisual presentation and everything else. I mean, some churches you go to and the singing is, I mean, professional quality. 
And um, the thing about that is, uh, I'm going to lose my track of thought, I know, but because uh, I'm going on a side here. The thing about that is, if you've been in some of those churches, it's like, to me, they're, they're on a train that's left the station, and they're going, and if you jump on, fine, and if you don't, that's fine, too, because they're going, with or without you. And uh, it doesn't make me feel like I'm a part of it. Uh, I much rather have our singing here, where at least I feel like my voice is important to what we do, because most of you guys can't sing a lick. And I, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm guilty. But but I do. No, I feel like in a small setting, I'm more I'm more a part of it, and it touches me more. Uh, there was a guy named Weber who wrote a book called Worship Is a Verb. And what he was saying in worship as a verb is you can't go to church to be entertained. You can't go to church to have, to be fed. You can't go to church and just soak everything up. And uh, I think sometimes when the big churches do this wonderful, amazing, and they're just trying to give the best worship and bring people closer to Christ and, and to believe that sometimes they go so far down the path that the people who go there are just going to get entertainment. And worship is a verb. What he was saying was that as a believer in church, you participate. You're supposed to be active in what happens. You don't go to receive from God. You don't go to church to receive from God. You go to church to give to God. And so you have to be involved and you have to participate so that the music is important that you're participating. The, the, the prayer is important. And, um, and you need to, to, to be active in your worship on Sunday. So I think sometimes through no, not intentionally, but sometimes they do their worship services so well that people feel like, you know, I just want to go because I love to watch the video. Or I love to hear the singing. And that's all good, but you have to be careful that it's not just I'm going to be entertained this week. That's my outlet for entertainment. I'm not going to the movies or not going to stage shows, but I'll go to church. And if you go to church to worship and to be participant, that's great. But if you go on just to get your daily or weekly entertainment, then that's not what you should be doing. So, Okay, so I brought us all down on Easter Sunday. That's not good, but I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift you up right now. You're going to bring me down. Good, Bev. I'm so glad. <laughs> so I'm going to bring you up right now because we're going to watch a video here, a music video. This is my favorite Easter song. It's called He's Alive. Uh, it's by Don Francisco, who wrote it. He's singing it. Uh, Don Francisco is one of those singer-songwriters who almost every single song he does, he tells a story. Uh, he has a wonderful song about Adam uh, in the gardens. Adam, where are you? Uh, it's a wonderful song. So this is his, he wrote this. You, you probably have heard this from other people singing, maybe even from him. But he, he wrote it, he sings it. He's Alive is my favorite Easter song. So let's go ahead and watch it here real quick. Get it going. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the gates and doors were barred, 
all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness, rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow, half in fear of the day. Would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, a voice began to call. I hurried to the window and looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they've moved him in the night. None of us knows where the stone's been rolled away. And now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden, then John ran on ahead. We found the stone in the empty tomb just the way that Mary'd said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell. How or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Something strange had happened there, but just what I didn't know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high. Cause I'd seen them crucify him and Then I saw him die Back inside the house again The guilt and anguish came Everything I promised him Just added to my shame Cause when at last it came to choices I denied I knew his name alive, it wouldn't be the same. But suddenly the air was filled with strange and sweet perfume. Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. And Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. And I fell down on my knees and just clung to him and cried. He raised me to my feet, and as I looked into his eyes, love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt in my confusion disappeared in sweet release. And every fear I'd ever had just melted in.
What is his name again? Don, Don Francisco. Don Francisco. And is that amazing? Is that, oh, I just, whew, I have a hard time. I, I have a hard time breathing after that. Yeah, wow. We had a, um, our choir director at the time, for most of the time, you know, um, was a, a beautiful face. Like Gary, Gary Randall. Can you hear Gary Randall singing? He would sing that often. Oh. Sunday, and I was always afraid stained glass windows would come If you look into Don Francisco, you'll find that... Uh, Almost all of his music tells a story like that. I mean, that's one. Of, that's the amazing one. That's my favorite one. But he doesn't. So turn to John chapter twenty real quick, um, because um, he talks about uh, what he talked about there is kind of captured here a little bit in John John twenty. By the way, you know, when did he was he was obviously being Peter in this song, and. Uh, and Jesus has appeared to him in the song. And yet, this is not the upper room, because this is just Peter, the story he just told in his song. Uh, it's not at the tomb. Uh, it's not in the upper room. So it's not on the road to Emmaus. I'm just having all kinds of problems today. So uh, what, how, what, is, what is the song all about? Well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to have a quick little series uh, after today. But, the, but Jesus did appear to Peter after his resurrection at some point on Resurrection Sunday, on the day that he was resurrected. At some point, Jesus met with Peter in bodily form. There's like one or two verses in the whole New Testament that even talk about it. There are no details given. It's a mystery, a mystery meeting between the two of them. So this is Don Francisco's, uh, you know, his presentation of that moment when Jesus met with Peter one on one on Resurrection Sunday. So that's cool that he fleshed that out of just something that's almost overlooked as we talk about Easter Sunday uh, traditionally. So anyway, John chapter twenty. So uh, we're going to go down to uh, verse, um, uh, let's see here. Let's go verse, let's just do verse 1, 20, uh, verse 1. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, uh, Mary Magdalene uh, come, came to the tomb. She sees that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. So she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who is John, uh, the one Yeshua loved. She tells them, they've taken the master out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. That's part of that song there. Then Peter and the other disciples set out going to the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. Leaning in, he saw the linen strips lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter comes following him, and he entered into the tomb. He looked upon the linen strips lying there, and the face cloth that had been on his head, and the face cloth had been on his head. It was not lying with the linen strips, but it was rolled up in a place by itself. So then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also entered. He saw, John, he saw all of that that Peter saw and believed. John saw and believed. For they did not yet understand from Scripture that Yeshua must rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to their own homes. And so there again, illustrated in that song, 
So John and Peter run to the tomb. Uh, John uh, stops. Peter runs in. Then John goes in, and John saw what Peter saw, and John believed in the resurrection and believed and believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he rose again. Peter uh, sees it, and you don't hear that same kind of testimony for him. So did he believe? Did he not believe? Hard to say. I think what this kind of illustrates is that on that Saturday, you know, after Jesus' crucifixion and death, the disciples themselves were questioning, was he really the Messiah? Was he really who we thought he was? Because we certainly didn't expect him to die. We certainly didn't expect this to happen. So were we wrong? And so I think when they get to the tomb and it says John went in and believed, he had his belief restored. He had his faith restored. That whatever doubts he had are now restored. Peter is still dealing with it, apparently. So then let's go over to then at verse 19. It says, It was the evening on that day, the first of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were. So now they're all gathered together in the upper room. For fear of the Judean leaders, Yeshua came and stood in their midst. And he said to them, Shalom, uh, peace. Uh, After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced and they when they saw the Lord. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And what I just want to think is interesting here to look at, and it's a subtle thing, is when they went to the tomb and saw the empty tomb, uh, John at least believed. And he believed just by seeing the empty tomb. He had not seen Jesus yet. So we talk about where Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Uh, He wasn't only talking about us or those who would come along after, you know, he was after he ascended. But he's even talking about like John here, who now believes in Christ without seeing him resurrected. He just sees the empty tomb and that's good enough. But You don't see him rejoicing in that. You don't see the joy in it. You just see there's belief in that. But in the upper room, when Jesus appears to them and they can see him face to face, then it says the disciples rejoice. So they were all able to rejoice and believe after they saw him. And so for us today, we have both. We have the empty tomb so we can believe, but we also have in Scripture the evidences of him bodily appearing in his resurrected body. So we can believe because of the empty tomb, but we can rejoice because we know he's alive. So for them, it took a step one and step two. We believe because we saw the empty tomb. We're not quite ready to rejoice yet because we're still kind of confused. But then when they see him in the upper room, okay, now we can rejoice. Now it's exciting. But for us as Christians today, we can believe in him as the resurrected Lord because the tomb was empty, but we can rejoice because we know that he actually did bodily come again and show them himself to them, and then he bodily was resurrected and ascended, and that he'll be coming back again. So we have both. We have both. We, they had a two-step process. We have it both in one and one. So uh, praise the Lord that we do, uh, do have that. So I wanted to, uh, I don't know, did you guys remember to bring your um, counting of the Omer 
if you didn't, I have extras here if you want to have one. Um, uh, I, I, sent a, I sent an email late last night, so if you didn't get it, it's my fault. I didn't send it soon enough. But uh, would anybody like to grab would you like to have one? I just wanted to go over the um, – we have a few minutes. Yeah, no, Joe, go ahead, because we have extras. If you don't have one here, grab one here. and, and in the driveway. <laughs> Do you guys need one over here? Sure. I don't think you got one last week, did you, Jeff? No, I didn't get one. Okay, That's so. right. Okay, so um, this year, um, interestingly, uh, we have the same setup as – they had in the in, when Jesus was crucified. We have Passover on Friday, which is what they had. We have the Feast of First Fruits starting, or no, the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread starting on Saturday. Um, and then because Saturday was the first uh, Sabbath day after Passover. That means the day after that first Sabbath, after Passover, is the Feast of First Fruits. So we have this weekend the exact same setup when Jesus was crucified. A Passover Friday, a Feast of Unleavened Bread on Saturday, which was a Sabbath day, which means that Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the first Sunday, was also, for the Jews of that day, the Feast of First Fruits. That's why Jesus is called the First Fruits of the Resurrection when he was resurrected, he was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. So um, this is, and, 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 but now what First Fruits has become has become the day you start counting to get to Pentecost or to get to the Feast of Weeks, where Shavuot is called. And one of the ways that uh, the Jewish people count the days is they count by counting the Omer. And so this um, Messianic rabbi has put together this booklet to help us count the Omer this year. And this is the exact same time frame that, that, that they would have had in the right after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so let's read the inside front cover and uh, just to give you the um, what's going on here. So it says, Then you are to count from the morrow after the Sabbath, Passover, uh, from the day that you brought the Omer of the wave offering, that's the barley offering, seven complete Sabbaths, until the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, you are to count 50 days and then present a new grain offering to Adonai. That's from Leviticus 23. And Omer is a unit of measure. On the second day of Passover, in the days of the temple, an Omer of barley was cut down and brought to the temple as an offering. Counting the Omer is part of participating in God's Moedim, the appointed times. Every day we count, let us be reminded of the link between Passover, which commemorates the Exodus and Deliverance, uh, and Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, which commemorates the giving of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, on you know to, to Moses, and God's Ruach, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that the redemption from slavery was not complete until we received the Torah, God's Word. It also reminds us that without God's Spirit, we don't have the ability to understand His Word nor the strength to keep it. Our purpose in counting the Omer is to draw closer to God each day by being obedient to his word. Remember the Jewish idea, every day you grow closer to God. Every day you come closer to him. We should expect that our faith level will be raised each day in anticipation of what God will do in our lives and through us in the lives of those around us. Each day you will have a new theme, scriptures to read, along with a thought, a challenge, and a short prayer. In the back you have a few pages for journaling. 
This year, our theme comes from the teachings of Yeshua in Matthew 1 to 12. Also included are verses of the Hebrew scriptures to be seen as a foundation of Yeshua's teaching. Uh, each daily entry is short, so don't just read it. Meditate on it and discuss it with others. I hope it will be a, a catalyst for further study each day. I pray that you will share this 50-day devotional with all the people you speak to, especially your family. Have them read it, download it, and there's the website where you can download it. According to the Jewish lunar calendar, each day begins in the evening at sundown. Counting the Omer can begin on Saturday evening, April 16th, or Sunday, April 17th. This booklet will use Sunday as the starting day, but know that if you prefer to begin the evening, April 16th, to be correct too. I pray that Counting the Omer devotion will be a blessing to you and to those you love. So you have a little devotional for each day. So we have time just quickly. Let's look at April 17th. This would be today. And it says, I don't know how to say this in, in, uh, in Hebrew, but I'm giving it a, a shot. Baruch Atah Adonai Elohinu Melak Helohem Asher Kidshanu B'mitzvotaf V'tzvanu Al Savarat Homer. It means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandments and has commanded us to count the Omer. Today is the first day of the first week, and day one I have counted the Omer. The theme, we live by God's words. Matthew 4, 4. But he replied, this is Jesus, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that actually comes from Deuteronomy 8.3, which says, he afflicted you and let you hunger when he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. And then the thought is, if thou sin, the word of God is thy adversary. It is the adversary of thy will till it become the author of thy salvation. That's from Augustine. Make God's word our joy as it will always nourish and sustain us. Then the challenge. Be in God's word every day. Allow it to direct us each day. Let us be a model of his teaching. Let God's word be ready at all times to be spoken and acted on in order for people to see that we not only read and study it, but we are an example of it. So there we talked about that whole survey, you know, living your life so that, because you know what? You're the only Bible some people will see, will ever see, will see. you know. They're not going to get their Bible out, a Bible out and read it, but if they see the Bible in you, then maybe, what I always say is, you can't, you can't, Bring people to Christ by hitting them over the head with your Bible. That's not going to work. You bring them to Christ by showing them the Bible and the way you love them, approach them, and show them something different where they say, I would like to know more about what makes you like you are. What do you have that I don't have? How can I get what you have? And then you open the door. That only happens as you're in relationship to them and you treat them that way. So... Okay, the prayer then. Let's just go ahead and pray that. Lord, I pray that I would have the strength and the motivation to be in your word daily. Help me to understand your word and apply it to my life. Help me to understand that your word is true nourishment and that through your word, you are always speaking to me. Father, help me to live your word. Um. I like that part about you always speaking to me because um, have you ever like read a passage of scripture like all your life and all of a sudden you go back to it and read it again and you see something and it's like, oh my God, I never thought about it that way before. Because 
God is always speaking to you through his word. Uh, I always thought, I don't know if you ever did this when you were preaching, but I always thought, I never did it, but I always was tempted to do it, was take a passage of scripture and do like three or four sermons that are all different from the same passage of scripture. Because you can do that, you know, different interpretations of the same passage, and you could do three or four sermons for it, because God speaks to you through the scripture in all different ways. One thing that happened to me often, and you probably had this too, Dennis, and Joe, you probably too did, um, is after preaching a sermon, someone will come up and say, you were preaching about me today, weren't you? You you were talking about me, right? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I just looked at a sermon. Well, you, that was exactly what I do. And sometimes they come, they feel guilty. Like, because God convicted them. And they say, almost like they are sorry, you know, you, you, you did, and I'm saying, I'm glad you were convicted, but that didn't really do it on purpose. <laughs> but God uses His word, doesn't He? It's alive. I found that when I do, each time I read a scripture and go back to it, it means more or something different. That God meets you where you are at that time in your life, and depending upon where you are, it has a different. It can have a different meaning in it. So that, 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 as you say, that he's always speaking to you because he he uses where you are and and, that, and makes it come alive to you in a different way. So true. It's amazing. It's wonderful. When I read this this week, um, the on the intro, introduction page, mm-hmm. this just so spoke to me. It all uh, that God's word reminds us that without God's spirit. We don't have the ability to understand his word, nor the strength to keep it. So, yeah, that strength to keep it. Yeah. You know, there's an understanding that is intellectual, and a lot of people want to read the Bible as an intellectual exercise. But if you don't have that Holy Spirit, it just doesn't speak to you. Understand. It doesn't speak to you. You don't understand. You really don't. So.